Hello, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast. I hope you're all well and, and have been enjoying what seems like an endless stream of football these days. Um, if you are footballed out though, then you're probably in the wrong place, but don't go tuning out just yet, as we've got a great guest once again and another in-depth episode from around the world of football, viewed as always through that under-23 lens. Um, today we are in Ukraine, home to Shakhtar Donetsk, Dynamo Kiev, Zoya Luhansk, the country Andriy Shevchenko currently manages, uh, who will face the Netherlands, North Macedonia and Austria in this summer's European Championships. Um, with me is the founder of the resource for Ukrainian football in the English language, Andrew Toros, uh, who runs Zoya Londonsk, uh, which since I started following his account on Twitter, uh, has kept me more updated on Ukrainian football than the, the flash score notifications I have on Shakhtar and Dynamo Kiev on a weekend. Um, but Andrew, a pleasure to chat with you. How are things? Hi, Joe. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Looking forward to discussing, you know, the youth of Ukrainian football. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, th- there is a plethora of it. You know, there's there's, there's plenty to, to choose from, you know, just going through your, your account, you know, a, a lot of the players that you, you've obviously been reporting on, um, they, they do happen to be 23 and under. And I think it's perhaps sometimes an area of, of particularly European football, which maybe doesn't have the, the focus on it that, it that it perhaps should. And, you know, th- there'll be reasons for that. We'll get into those. But um in terms of the account, Zoya Londonsk, I mean, I might be pronouncing that incorrectly because it's a, a bit of a portmanteau, but um, I'm guessing that it's based on sort of your, your London background, but also uh, to do with Zoya Luhansk, the actual Ukrainian Premier League team. Am I, am I right? Um, first of all, Joe, good pronunciation. Uh, some people struggle with it. So, I mean, that's as good as it can be <laughs> personally. And yeah, you're pretty pretty much uh, spot on to be honest it was it was a name that I used for my fantasy football teams for a few years before I started um, the account and I was thinking of you know a link between Ukrainian football and myself who's based in London Zoria Luhansk quite a well-known team I don't support them you know outright as you know as a fan or anything but um, you know I just wanted to connect the two together it's a bit more original than sort of a, a Dynamo London or something like that. that, you, <laughs> yeah, that you absolutely. Know, I feel like a lot of people may have gone gone with as their go-to. But um, yeah, my next question was going to be, was is, is Zoya your Ukrainian team? Um, but no, it's interesting to, to see. Do, do, out of interest, do you have a Ukrainian team? Or are you, you know, a very super serious, very impartial Ukrainian football expert? Well, I mean, during my youth, I'd say I was, you know, I was quite a devout uh Dynamo Kiev fan. Um, but I mean, since I started this, um, you know, covering Ukrainian football week in, week out, I guess I've become more of a neutral as it's worn on in that basis, just to have that BDI on everything um, and try not to be biased in certain occasions. Uh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's it's probably quite a funny next question, but, um, you know, <laughs> given that you've just talked about bias and, and you know, the, and the like, but who is currently your, your favourite active Ukrainian player? So, for, I guess, you know, the whole of the 2010s, it was probably Andriy Yermolenko. You know, he's a hero of mine. I've had the chance to interview him in the past. Um, great guy. Probably the second best Ukrainian player ever behind Shevchenko. Maybe some debate about whether Serhii Rebrov um, is involved in that conversation too. But I'd say over the past couple of seasons, because he's been playing really well and sort of impressing me, um, an up-and-coming player, not quite under 23 anymore, but um, Roman Yaremchuk, who's um, Ghent's centre-forward at the moment, 
in Belgium and he's just having a he's having a great um great few years for both club and country. I, one thing I must say is that you know for 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 myself sort of living in the UK you know my scope and my understanding of Ukrainian football doesn't sort of extend to to the pronunciation and I think that you know your your pronunciation of of Yarmolenko um there is is absolutely spot on you know it's 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 what you'd get sort of if as if you were listening to um the the Ukrainian commentary on on a on a local game you know what I mean so um yeah f- fair play with that I won't be re- replicating that to the to the same degree I, I think throughout this pod cuz just my my brain is is naturally probably not going to do that but um it, it's interesting that you know it's uh, you're very you know particular in, in pronouncing them correctly I think that's a great thing you know I think we in England and in the UK sometimes we do maybe mispronounce foreign players names um because because it's easier um but no I, I quite like that cheers well I mean my background is Ukrainian so I've got you know I can speak Ukrainian and it helps in, in that respect <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I suppose we should get right into it then. Uh, and and first on the list is uh, is the champions. You know, Shakhtar Donetsk. Yeah. Uh, and and it's it's very interesting from sort of uh, from an under twenty three perspective because not only is the is the Portuguese contingent at um, at Shakhtar, uh, uh, you know, a topic that we could discuss, but a lot of the the under twenty three players there. Um, who are playing first team roles, and you know, rightly so on merit. A lot of them are Portuguese speakers. Um, you know, the vast majority, I think, pretty much across the board, they're all Brazilian, um, apart from the ones who have na- become naturalized Ukrainians. Um, you know, there's Dodo, Ismaili, Vital, uh, Tyson, Marcus Antonio, Dentinho, Marlos, Tete, Alan Patrick, Maicon, Marquinhos Cipriano, Fernando, and Junior Moraes. You know, reeling off that list, that's pretty much almost a starting eleven you could make with that. You know, what is the, what is the? I mean, if it makes more sense to to begin with the origins of Shakhtar, then please do. But you know, what what are the origins of this this lusophonic Portuguese speaking contingent? So it, I think it all began in around um, the early mid two thousands when uh, Mircea Luchescu, um, the legendary Shakhtar manager, um, took charge. And under his sort of tutelage, the club decided to start scouting quite heavily in Brazil. Um, So they've got their own sort of vast scouting network over there and have done for many years. Hence how they bring in all these sort of young players and have had, you know, some of the best of the crop Brazilians that have gone on to play in the Premier League, the Bundesliga and elsewhere. So... Since then, they've continued in that vein. When Luchescu left in um, the mid-2010s, they brought in Paulo Fonseca, a Portuguese manager, and currently the manager is Luis Castro, who's another Portuguese manager. So it's all sort of catered to the fact that half the team is Brazilian and then the other half is Ukrainian. And I guess, I mean, it sort of varies. From the start, it was usually sort of Brazilian attackers, flair players, and like a stringent sort of Ukrainian defence. But I mean, now it's just a bit more fluid where you get players all across the park just um, interchangeable in those positions. And as those players that you've already mentioned as well, 
they're they're all over the pitch as well. Yeah, and I think it's it's right to mention that you know the, the, without those players, I don't think that Shakhtar would have had the, the the dominance that they've had on on Ukrainian football over the past decade or so. You know, you you only need to look at the some of the names that have come through the, the you know the Luis Adrianos, the Fernandinho, um, who's obviously now Manchester City legend. He's also a Shakhtar legend. Um, if I mean, I might be I might be pushing the boat out a little bit there, but I think he's you know he's probably one of the the more reputable players. Players in the club's history, um, you know, Willian was was obviously at Shakhtar for for a little while um, during his younger years. You know, these these players have sort of cut their teeth um, as in their developmental, you know, early twenties uh, before going on to to play in um, more major European leagues. But you know, have have shown that they can do it in the Europa League and Champions League with Shakhtar. Um, you know, I, I was reading a stat the other day, which was something along the lines of you know. Every season of the past 10, 15 years, uh, Shakhtar have reached uh, the knockout phase of, of uh, either the Champions League or the Europa League or the UEFA Cup or whatever it was back in the day um, on, on sort of the last 10 or 12 um, seasons out of 15. You know, how do you, you know, from a league like Ukraine, where sort of the, the disparity between the top teams and the bottom teams is so stark you know how does a team like that while sort of integrating a half ukrainian half brazilian team how do they retain sort of that effectiveness in european competition i guess up until uh 2013-14 season the ukrainian league was actually quite strong they still had the you still had the other regular european entrants such as metalist Tarkiv, uh dnipro who've since folded and I guess since around 2015, when those sides sort of faded away and Ukraine's um, European representation has pended on just Shakhtar and Dynamo, um, it's become just more of the churning out machine of continuing with playing with a, with a lot of Brazilians who provide usually the goals, um, whereas the Ukrainians in the squad provide a bit more um, organisation, either through, you know, veterans such as Piatov, Stepanenko and that sort of stuff. However, um, I guess maybe most prominently this season, their squad is very aged in the sort of top experienced senior players. And it sort of looks like it's coming to the end for a lot of those players, like such as Marlos, Junior Marias, uh, Tyson. Um, ones that have been sort of stalwarts and have helped the club get through those to those European knockout stages year on year. It looks like their sort of time is waning and it's not really helping, hence why they're sort of struggling domestically this season. On that topic, you know, the, the sort of a changing of the guard, um, essentially, you know, the, the older players sort of topping out and, and the younger ones coming through. Um, clearly, you know, there, there is obviously a, a Brazilian contingent coming through uh, as well. You know, you have Dodo, uh, Vital, Marcos Antonio, mm-hmm. Tete, Maicon, Marquinhos, Cipriano, Fernando. They're all 23 and under. Um, you know, there's... There's a there's a bedrock of, of of young talent there at Shakhtar. Um, the two that I really want to focus on are, are sort of two um, scouted sweethearts, really, um, because we've we've seen that we've we've sort of tracked their progress for quite a while. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe they signed for the club at the same time, or, or around the same time at the very least, um, and that's Marcus Antonio and Tete. Um, 
you know, they, they are very exciting players. Um, Marcus Antonio being sort of a, a, a six transitioning to an eight, a very, very good punchy passer from midfield, you know, being able to thread those balls through to the, to the attack, uh, the attackers, uh, you know, a, 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 a box-to-box presence, really. Um, and Tete being a, a really incisive wide forward um, who, who this season in, in, in the Champions League, you know, kind of took apart Real Madrid in, in that game um, uh, in, in Spain. So, you know, the, the, there's definitely talent there and there's definitely talent to, to replace the, the players who are p- perhaps coming to the end of their, their tenure. Um, but with Marcus Antonio and Tete, you know, in terms of the Ukrainian league, for anybody who perhaps doesn't watch it as often, you know, where would you rank them amongst sort of the best players um, in the division for their respective positions? They both featured quite heavily in the early early half of the season before the winter break. They've been a bit more bit part since we've returned, I guess, inside February, March. Um, I'm not entirely sure why that's the case. Um, Castro's the manager's been struggling a bit with um, results since the turn of the year. But in general, I guess both of them are up there in terms of uh, conversions of, you know, the stats that that they're good at in terms of, you know, passing, carrying the ball, um, Marcus Antonio, um, in terms of, you know, he's he reminds me of Fred back in the day when before his, you know, before he moved to United, he was a, he was a box-to-box midfielder, um, able to string a pass through to the attackers, but then also can sweep up if needed um, and help support the central defensive midfielders such as um, Alan Patrick or Stepanenko. However, I still think that he probably needs a bit of physicality to his game. At age 20, I think he's still slightly a bit too small um, to be that fully rounded central midfielder that a lot of people think that he might be able to become. So in that in that sense, there are still a lot more established players that you probably would put uh, ahead of him just on the basis that he's probably not played as much and he hasn't got that um, experience just yet. But it looks like he's on the way there. And I mean, the same for Tete. He's played even less, I think, than um, Marcus Antonio in terms of like starts. Um, however, whenever he does play, he always somehow is able to find a, a goal for himself, um, has some sort of um, key contribution and very impressive from what we've seen. I just don't really understand what is required more from him for Castro to play him over the likes of the ageing Marlos and Tyson who look like they're slightly a bit losing their breath when playing uh, full 90 minutes, etc. Yeah, I mean, they are the two players that, that we've we've sort of really focused on um, sort of when we've, whenever we've watched Shakhtar. And, and you know, there's, there've been other players who, who've, who've obviously stood out, but perhaps not to the same extent. And I think the one that, you know, the takeaway that, that we've always had, that I've always had with, with those two is that, you know, if they were, if they were playing sort of, um, you know, three thousand minutes a season. Then, then you know, we'd be we'd be talking about some of the sort of the, the hottest property in, in in Eastern Europe, really. Um, and to be honest, they probably already are. They probably still are, regardless of that, um, because of, you know the intrigue around you know having it being a, a Brazilian in Ukraine and 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 that sort of thing. But um, I think with with Marcus Antonio and Tete, I think their their ceilings are are perhaps higher than than the Ukrainian Premier League. Yeah, no, I'd say so for sure. I just guess what's required for them to get to reach the heights of some of their compatriots in the past, you know, William, um, Fernandinho, Fred, etc., to move to those bigger sides. I 
still need to establish themselves in the starting eleven at Shakhtar because mm. I mean I know Tete's been linked with a couple of bigger clubs like Bayern and elsewhere, but I mean whilst they've shown definitely that they can play in the you know the Champions League and have had good performances and I guess that's sort of the litmus test, um, they're still not for whatever reason um, out and outright first choices on. Yeah, you know, on the paper uh, of the team sheet. So I guess that might come next season. Yeah, and it's all about, a dev- you know, having that that pathway to begin with. And, and obviously, you know, this gradual easing into the team and, and you know, they, they are playing more minutes than they were playing when they first arrived. You know, they, they signed, I think it was uh, back in 2019. So, you know, they, they, they've had a gradual process of bedding in um, at, at Shakhtar. So, you know, you, you'd imagine that when sort of the, the Marlosses and, and Junior Moraes um, types are, are, are less influential, um, even, even more so next season, that, you know, that will be the, the the litmus test, as you say, for for the Tetes um, and Marcus Antonio's. Where the, you have to ask the question, you know, this is your chance to step up and and really show that you deserve to be in this starting eleven on merit. Um, but I've got high hopes, certainly. Um, but there's there's another player in in Shakhtar's team who um, isn't Brazilian, funnily enough. <laughs> um, but he is he he's Israeli, and uh, it's Mano Solomon. Um, who uh, really, really excited me, sort of in in those in those Champions League group games, uh, and and towards the back end of last season in that Europa League run, yeah, um, you know he was excellent in a few of those games, and um, he, for me, I, I think it was it kind of caught me by surprise because I just assumed that every great attacking player at Shakhtar was Brazilian in some way. So doing sort of looking on transfer marks and, and who scored and the like, you know, looking up looking him up and seeing that oh actually no hold on he's he's an Israeli international. Um, was was quite a surprise. You know, he's, I mean, do, does he sort of buck the trend or does he have some sort of roots to, to Ukraine? No, it's definitely a buck the trend, I think. Um, apparently, he was being linked or very close to signing for Man City before he joined Shakhtar. So somehow they pipped him, um, I guess, with their sort of reputation for developing youth and, you know, giving players such as of his calibre um, game time and you know the the sort of lure of Champions League football Europa League football on a consistent basis too which is I think ultimately what what brought him there um but yeah I mean he's being linked elsewhere now um so we'll see yeah and and the the defining attribute of Solomon's I think you'd you'd be in agreement here that is his dribbling you know he's Mm -hmm. he's just such a great ball carrier you know he can go past players as that that low center of gravity loves sort of tucking in and and taking it past players um where do you think he could perhaps improve though you know if he was if he was going to be as as consistent uh as some of his you know European performances Mm -hmm. would it would it would it be another case of just playing more minutes you think Or, or is it or is it a case of you know he's I don't know, he's just lacking something. No, I, th- I definitely think, um, well, first of all, playing more minutes would be a positive for sure. Despite the fact that he's being linked with, you know, these big clubs such as Arsenal, Leeds and elsewhere, um, he's not actually that regular starter um, mm. under Castro, which is, that's probably even um, stranger than maybe Antonio and Tete, just because I think... Solomon's slightly even more higher rated than them in some circles. Um, and yeah, like you said, he's great at dribbling, low centre of gravity, and he's really good on the break. You know, when when they're countering, he's really, you know, he's got that uh, quick bit of pace, likes to drive. 
likes to drive forward uh, really well. However, I still think he's a bit he's a bit raw. He still needs to work on his decision making. I think ultimately mm-hmm. is probably the big one, um, where when he's got a bit of time, he maybe takes a, an extra stride too much, or you know goes down goes down the wing a bit too far, um, and he needs to maybe release it um, a bit earlier, playing the playing the striker a bit a bit sooner. But I mean, you know, he's still got the world ahead of him, so hopefully he can improve on that. I think that is one of the things that we we see sometimes with young players who particular who play out in in the attacking wide positions. You know, decision making will be the the make or break for them. Sometimes it just takes that extra time on the pitch for that to click. Uh, and and with 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 practice comes perfection essentially. So perhaps that can be one area where where he improves. Um, moving on though to to Dinamo Kiev, um, are they're, they're currently top, uh, which. For over the past few seasons, sort of just from from my watching brief, you know, they haven't really sustained a, a lead at the top of the table. It's very much mm-hmm. been Shakhtar from from day one, especially over the past few years. Yeah, you know, are we are we very much seeing a like a, a title challenge for for the first time in however many number of seasons? Absolutely. Um, so remember, I mentioned Mircea Luchescu earlier, the legendary yes. Shakhtar manager. He's um, unironically he's the new uh, Dynamo Cave manager. Hmm. Um, as of this season, which was, um, you know, it was probably one of the biggest shocks in sort of Ukrainian football history in terms of managerial news. Um, when he came back to Ukraine as and, man, and is now managing Shakhtar's arch rivals. So it's a weird one. He's come in, he's brought in a bit of discipline and organisation to the team defensively. And basically what's happening is they're beating the teams that they should be beating in the league. So what has been happening over the past few seasons when they've had sort of more inexperienced coaches or just low quality coaches. There wasn't really much tactics. There wasn't really much end goal. Um, Yeah, you play some young players, but I mean, that's not really enough sometimes. And Luchescu sort of brought that sort of organisation and um, discipline um, to the side. And they're now sort of not losing or dropping points to the lower ranked clubs in the in the table and sort of taken advantage of the fact that Shakhtar have had their own sort of aging issues with their squad and have been slipping up in the league against those low opposition that uh, Dinamo themselves have been doing in the past few seasons. But yeah, like you said, um, definitely a title charge this year. Um, they look in pole position at the moment, four points clear. You don't know how Flux is match day on match day, but it will sort of break a dominance of Shakhtar, who've won 12 of the last 16 titles. So I knew it was very much um, domestic dominance from from Shakhtar's perspective, but, you know, 12 out of the last 16, that's kind of, you know, un- unprecedented numbers, um, especially for, for, for a division where, you know, the over the 16 years, as you say, for 10 of those, it was a very competitive division with mm. Metalist and, and Dnipro. Um the player that obviously I'm going to want to talk about first is for anybody who's listened to this podcast before, <laughs> um, they'll know that I do have a rather large soft spot for, for, for Viktor Siankov. And he is certainly one that I want to get the pronunciation correct on. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that any of the others um, are, are worth less my, my, my correct <laughs> pronunciation, um, but is am I getting it right with Viktor Siankov? Yeah, Siankov's fine. Like you can, oh, perfect. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm just very glad that I haven't been saying his name wrong all of these years because that would just be oh it would be it would be devastating. <laughs> That's fine. Um, but you know he's he's been 
consistently prolific for for a number of seasons now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from that right inside forward position with Dinamo, um, you know, he's he's taken the captaincy on so many so many occasions. Um, you know, he is he's a leader from the front. You know, he's penalty taker, free kick taker. Mm-hmm. You know, turns turns free kicks into effectively like penalties sometimes. Um, you know, there, I think there was a, a stretch. Um, when I was well, when I was doing my research to to write his his scouted football handbook profile in in number one way back in sort of twenty eighteen nineteen, um, there was a stretch where you know there was five or six assists and goals in a row where he just rifled in free kicks from range mm. and was just bending crosses into the box. It was just obscene. No, absolutely. I mean, um, I mentioned last season that they had a really bad year. Even they still finished second, um, but they were pretty awful in a lot of their games and it was just Hankov with a bit of magic pulling something out of the bag with a either a last minute goal um, a free kick or something like that to bring the win and obviously he's still doing it this year um, but he's had a bit more help from his teammates um, fortunately but yeah I mean he reminds me of Andrea Molenko who when he was playing in for Dynamo in the you know the Europa League, the Champions League, etc. In the 2010s, he was really good. Um, obviously, since he moved abroad, that didn't work out, and it was I think that was to do with the fact that he left too late in his career and injuries. But I mean, um, yeah, uh, is basically like Yarmolenko, but without as much flair. Like he doesn't do stepovers or Rabonas or anything like that. Um, but he's got very similar attributes where he's good at cutting inside, popping at top bins. Maybe he's not so reliant on his left foot because he can also play inverted on the left-hand side if need be. And he's, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a solid player in terms of um, whether it comes to scoring goals, assisting, and just in general having an impact on the game, especially when he's needed the most. Absolutely. I mean, I, I I just have to echo pretty much all of that. And one of the things that I really loved about him to, to from the, from the beginning was that you know he was just there were no frills, as you say. You know, he was just very not ordinary because there's nothing ordinary about a player who gets double mm. goals and assists tallies in three four consecutive seasons. Um, but you know, there was there was Zihankov has a pretty much across the board just great attributes in in pretty much every department. You know, mm. he's he's he. I feel like at times, you know, he's pulled Dinamo through some really tough games yeah. um, through through his own just ability to just get the ball, get it into the box um, and and either, either, you know, playing those one-twos on the edge of the area. I love those where sort of he'll play with, I think it was, you know, when the last time I was watching, it's probably Benjamin Verbic, but, yeah. um, you know, playing those those one-twos and just sneaking in and, and always finding that that room and that, that crisp finish um, was just... Yeah, it, it was it was emblematic of a player that you know should be playing at that higher level, um, which sort of takes me on to the next point, which is you know he's he's twenty three going on twenty four now, mm-hmm. uh, and you were mentioning about obviously Yarmolenkov there, and for me I, I've sort of been pining after a Siankov move for, for quite a while um, because I just think I, I think you know the the rest of the world needs to wake up to him absolutely, um, mm-hmm. but you know would you would you say it's it's probably safe to assume it's his final year in Ukraine. You'd hope so. Um, I myself have also been, you know, calling for him to leave for, a, you know, at least a couple of seasons now. I guess I think last summer would have probably been the prime time. Mm. Um, this year will be fine, obviously, after after the Euros. Um, but it's definitely time 
for him to make the bigger step up and not repeat the mistakes of, um, you know, predecessors such as Yarmolenko and Konoplyanka, who's left, I guess, slightly too late in their careers, where they couldn't really develop too much more, you know, under the tutelage of maybe a more experienced and more tactically astute manager or something like that. I mean, in terms of where he might end up, that's difficult to say. He's been linked with, you know, Milan. He's been linked with the Bundesliga. He's been linked with Everton, I think, most recently. I mean, I think he would probably need to go to a side, to a similar calibre of Everton, where it's like, you know, they're not title challengers, really, consistently. But they are one of those teams that, are still going to have a big impact on the league. Um, we'll take it to the bigger sides and it will give him a chance to make a name for himself. The issue for him, especially, I guess, in this year's Champions League campaign for Dynamo, it's just the way that Dynamo plays sometimes is that they end up reverting to like long balls up top, trying to just boot it to the lone forward. And that really just takes him out of the game and he just becomes invisible sometimes when he's not allowed to be, you know, given the ball into his feet or something like that. So it'd have to be a side that caters to that. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying in terms of the um the, the, the moving to a side with a similar stature to, to someone like Everton. You know, you'd be expected to win roughly around forty to fifty percent of their games in a season. Um, but you know, maybe doesn't have the, the, the same fan base where the pressure may be uh, as, as enormous as mm. sort of a, a Bayern Munich or a Borussia Dortmund um, or, or you know a Manchester United that that type of thing. You know, I think there are plenty of teams out there who are in need of a no frills right inside forward mm. um, who can you know pitch in with goals. He's very good from set pieces. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of strings to his bow. There there are a lot of selling points to him. Um, just on, on on obviously Dynamo's good players and and you know best players of the past five years or so you know the in terms of you know the players that they have in the the Ukrainian national team at the moment is obviously Sihankov, uh, but there's also um, Vitaly Mikolenko, um, who yep. I think is absolutely brilliant as a left wing back. Um, I think he's fun uh, with well in terms of his potential as a left wing back in a in a top five uh, top Europe top five European leagues side. Um, obviously, he's been playing in a back four with Dynamo because obviously the the, the dominance that they have over the rest of the teams in the league bar Shakhtar means that you know you don't have to do uh, as much defending. But I think you know with his versatility, it makes him a, an, an interesting one because he can obviously play left back, he can play left sided centre back as he has played in the the Ukrainian youth teams um, and has as has played this season. You know, yeah. He, yeah, it's it's pretty much 50-50 really, isn't it? How he's, he's split his time um, this season under Luchescu. Um So there's clearly something in his game which says that despite that spindly six-foot-one frame of his, you know, he can actually play as an athletic fullback or as a centre-half. In terms of if he were to get a move similar to Sihankov, um, you know, whenever that may be, where would you see him playing in sort of a if he did get a move to a top five European league, because I've always had my suspicions. I think that in a back four where maybe you're asked more tactically, where you are exposed a lot more, if you dive into tackles too much, Mm. I think he could be a bit more exposed in, in a, in a more, in a tougher division. I guess there is that risk, but, um, I guess his sort of biggest games that he's had, um, especially at left back, have been in um, for Ukraine, like the actual senior national team. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I went and watched him play against Portugal in a nil-nil draw at the start of 2019. And he basically pocketed Ronaldo that night. Um, obviously, he's, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is not who he once was. But I mean, um, still, it was one of those games where it was like a sort of career-defining moment where it's like, oh, this is a watershed. This guy's going to be big. And I think that the best place for him to go to would be Serie A to start off with because obviously a sort of an experienced coach might be able to sort of help him with that fullback um, duality of playing in defence and in attack at the same time. Um, As you've said, he's played in centre-back a number of occasions. That's definitely not his first choice um, position. Mm. It's just if, uh, if required, you know, if there's injuries or something like that, but he's great at crossing. He's up and down that um, left-hand side uh, consistently, heaps of energy and pace. And I think he's, um, you know, I think he's got what it takes. I just think he just needs a bit more, um, probably more consistent playing time against better, you know, wide men. Um, And maybe that might help him um, in terms of his experience with those defensive frailties. Yeah, I think that's the case. You know, when you when you have seen him up against better players, um, I, I actually remember watching that uh, Ukraine Portugal game back um, when I was because so, Mikhailenko, funnily enough, was another player that I, I, I profiled um, last summer, um, and I'd been sort of fighting for him for quite a while. Um, but what I really liked about him was that if Ronaldo tried to drag him into a more isolated position um, in sort of these lateral spaces, which sometimes fullbacks are not great at covering, fullbacks mm. who particularly who can play in central defence, maybe aren't as comfortable when they're more isolated. I thought he re- he held up really well in that regard. And I think that's that's something which will always stand him in good stead. You know, again, if you're a team who want to buy a left-back who is effectively with good coaching, as you say, I think that's very important, the coaching element. But someone who has the potential to be a very, very effective two-way presence at fullback, which, as we know, the, the position uh, on the pitch is, is becoming more and more important um, nowadays, you know, being able to be solid defensively, good one-on-one, uh, but also able to affect the game in the final third. And, you know, mm. obviously his crossing is fantastic. Um, you know, he's got that great athletic ability. So I, I think, yeah, he's he's one who I think has, has definitely got a very high ceiling as well. With Luchescu, obviously you mentioned injuries and stuff there. You know, he's 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 played a lot of, of younger players um in, with Dynamo this season. Mm-hmm. Uh and 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 I'm you know, I think this is the Scouted Football Podcast. We have to commend that. Um but you know, the likes of Ilya Zabani and Denis Popov, um, who are I mean I mean I I bungled them together, but they're eighteen and twenty two. So they're <laughs> you know, they're, they're pretty much at differing ends of the, you know, young player development spectrum. But you know, there's there's two players there who I'm really, really fond of. Um, Popov being a player that we watched really, really intently at the the Under-20 World Cup back in 2019, which we'll get onto. But out of those two, um, Zabani and Popov, I mean, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here again, but who's your, fa- who's your favourite, Andrew? I mean, if you asked me this question, I guess, six, seven months ago, it would probably have to be Popov just because of, you know, the memories of that Under-20 World Cup, the sort of he's put in a, sort of few big performances um in the Klasichna, the Shakhtar Dynamo Derby um over the past season. And he's, you know, he's sort of started to make a name for himself at centre back. However, since 
Luchescu came in. He drafted in Ilya Zabani from the Dynamo Academy straight into the side. He made his debut in the UCL playoff um, against AZ. And he's sort of kept his place ever since at 18. And I mean, I think um, France football or something has ranked him as like 21 in the best under 21 players for for 2021. And I mean, he's only been playing senior football for about four months. Yeah. So, um, and he's already made his Ukraine debut, kept a clean sheet against Spain. I think he's probably... He's slowly taking over Popov's sort of um, Popov's position as my favourite. I guess I think um, Popov would benefit from moving abroad. Um, I think he was linked in the year after that World Cup. He was linked to somewhere like Ajax or something. I think that would have been a good place for him, maybe to get a bit more um, of a footballing education compared to what's been going on at Dynamo. Because I think he's a bit. He just needs a bit of guidance, um, and I don't think he might be able to get that too well in um in Ukraine. Um whereas Zabani still got a few years on him to uh to you know progress. And I think yeah he's gonna be a, a big player for years to come. Where where he's gonna end up, no, I wouldn't be able to say that just yet. But um mm. yeah he definitely looked really promising. Yeah I mean I think his in terms of how how steep learning curves come, I think his was pro- possibly the steepest I've ever seen. You know, over sort of a just over a month long period. You know, he, he was playing for Ukraine's under twenty ones, which for an eighteen year old is pretty impressive, regardless. Mm. Um, but then was playing regularly for Dynamo, and then called up to the senior national team. You know, played full nineties against France, Germany, Spain, as you mentioned. Um, you know, he was part of that 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 game against France where where the team lost seven one. Yeah, that was his Ukraine debut. <laughs> you know that, that. I mean that that humbles you. But to come to come out of that, come out the other side and have strung together this you know this amount of games. You know all these appearances in prestigious competitions and for a club who let's not forget you know it's, it's historic in Ukraine with Dynamo. Mm. Um, you know to be doing that at all at eighteen years old. Um, is 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 pretty impressive. So I think I'd have to I'd have to side with you on on that one there. Um, obviously, those two Popov and Zabani are, are, are centre centre backs. But uh, at the other end of the pitch, uh, we have uh, well, please don't ask me to pronounce this one. Um, but Supriya and 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 Lednev, um, who are who had very strong um, campaigns last season. Um, they they were on loan at um, Dnipro and and Zoya, mm-hmm. and. They've they've come back and they've been playing, but you know it it appears from sort of the outside looking in that they may be somewhat stalling a little bit. You know, is that uh, is is that the sense that you're getting, or is it just a case of you know when when whenever loan players return, they perhaps just need a little bit of time to bed back in? No, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that um, they need time to bed in. It's just weird. Um, it's sort of a typical Dynamo Kiev situation. Um, they end up loaning out players um, to different teams. They play really well there, um, such as Supra. I think he got 15, 16 goals last season for Dnipro 1. Okay, they were in the lower half of the table and were playing against relatively easy sides. But, you know, Supra was in em- emphatic form. Uh, Bohdan Lednev was one of uh, Zoria's best players. Um, you know, he was scoring free kicks for fun. He was like, you know, the Ukrainian David Beckham, uh, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then they came back to Dynamo and it looks like Luchescu doesn't really favour them too much. 
on the basis that Supraha started, I think, the first few matches for Luchescu um, as a centre-forward. Now, he played in the Champions League uh, sort of qualifiers. And then, essentially, he's just stopped scoring goals. It was really weird. Um, it looks like he's completely drained his confidence. He was, like, missing sitters. And he's not scored since September. And he has had a fair few opportunities since. Um, so that was really worrying, especially since, as throughout the summer last year, Bologna were persistently after Supraha. They were offering him 10, they were offering Dinamo 10 million euros for him. But as is the case with um, Dinamo K of owner, and the reason behind like why a lot of players don't end up moving or anything like that for delayed periods of time. Um, the owner wanted 15 million or up to 20. And I mean, for a, for a player like Subra, who's completely unproven, really, at a, a top level, um, that's sort of a bit of a joke, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. But, and, the, and the sad irony of it is, is that he's dropped off so much this season. Um, when if he was maybe playing in Syria, even if he wasn't playing regularly, that would have probably been more beneficial to him. Um, but yeah, Lednev the same. He's just he's a bit old, obviously, but he's just not been given consistent opportunities. He always comes on as a sub, maybe last five minutes of games or something like that. And you know that's not really much time to show to much, um, especially when you're either already winning or you're got a mountain to climb. So it, it's difficult to say. And I mean, it's it's a typical case of Dinamo Kiev, I guess, and even Shakhtar with the Ukrainian talent. They like to combine, you know, you know hoard a load of players together. Um, don't really let them free unless they are loaned out to, for example, Shakhtar's feeder club in the UPL is Mariupol. They send a load of their under-23 players there. And then Dinamo loan out to Ivo Zoria a bit. They loan out to Desna and some other sides. But I mean, you know, that's not really good enough if you want to be a top player. You need to be going elsewhere, either signing somewhere else. or. And I think that option is sometimes just not allowed, um, either through agents or through through the club structure. Um, which is a shame. Yeah, I think uh, you know, reading reading around the subject, I, I feel like I kind of got that impression. You know, that the the top clubs obviously want to hoard that talent because you know they never know when they're going to you know stumble across one who's going to be worth, as you say, you know, ten million, ten million pounds, ten million euros, because you know that's going to that's going to fund that club for 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 a long time. You know, it's going to perhaps bail out. Um, a, a season where you know you don't get as far in European competition mm-hmm. um, as, as you might be expected. So, yeah, it's it's a bit of an issue and it's a sad one. But I think, especially you know with with Supra, you know there's there's time there's time on his side. Yeah, um, and I think I, I mean I, I say I think I'm not I don't have any insider knowledge here, but I'd hope that um, that, that clubs. Uh, you know, Bologna's, for example, you know, Bologna who do very, very good scouting, you know, they, they're yeah. very diverse. Um, they, they clearly know what they're, what they're looking for. And he is definitely a player. I hope that clubs like that are still sort of in the market for a player like that, because as you say, his market value will have dropped. So mm-hmm. there's a potential to, to pick up a, a player perhaps for, for cheaper and, you know, make the, 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 the Dinamo, the Dinamo hierarchy look a bit foolish that they didn't take that 10 million when they, when they could have. Absolutely. Um, moving on, of course, I think it's it's 
prudent that we discuss uh, the the under twenty World Cup winning side, obviously who who beat um, South Korea in in the two thousand and nineteen um, World Cup final at an under twenty level. Yeah. Um, you know that was a team which which had the likes of um, Jorhi Sitiaishvili, um, Sergi Buletsa, Supriaha, who just talked about Valerie Bonda, Andrei Lunin. Um, you know all of those players. Um, who were who are excellent at that tournament, mm-hmm. and and Ukraine really were deserved winners. Um, I was kind of rooting for South Korea at that time, but has to be said on reflection, I think mm-hmm. you know they were they they were the, they were the best side and they they deserved it because um, they South Korea were were really good at sort of keeping teams at bay, and and Ukraine then put three past them in the final. So you know you, you can't really argue with that. But on on a on a where are they now um, basis, you know it's been pretty much two years since that tournament. Um, and you'd be expecting those players who starred at that tournament to be really, you know, ramping up, you know, knocking on the door of their respective clubs, um, you know, the first team starting 11s and stuff like that. Um, but the players that I've just mentioned, um, Sitaishvili, Boletsa, Supriya, Bondar, Lunin, they're all, uh, they're, you know, they're all struggling for form or minutes or both. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that, I mean, it, it's a sad reflection because, you know, in, in years gone by, you may have got that with players at youth international tournaments, that the infrastructure at their clubs perhaps wasn't in place. But that's not the case now. You know, the, these players who are excelling at youth international tournaments, there's a reason for that. And that's because they've been, you know, conditioned to to, to be the best. So it's a shame to see that perhaps this, this golden generation of, of Ukrainian youth team players hasn't fulfilled the potential i mean is is there a reluctance that i mean it's it's probably playing on that fact the the, the lednev and, and supraha fact that the top the top teams you know like to hold these players and i mean just looking down that squad list at the under 20 world cup they were pretty much half the squad was either shakhtar or dinamo mm-hmm. so naturally there's not going to be a place in the team for every single one of those players. So naturally, a few of them will stall. A few of them will move on, maybe take moves that are beneath them or perhaps go to teams that maybe aren't suited to them at that time. Yeah. Andrew Lunin certainly being one, you know, being at Real Madrid. Um, is is Have you found that there's a greater reluctance from Western European clubs to take what they may perceive as a gamble on, on Ukrainian players or, or are there something like financial factors maybe at play? It's a weird one. Um, I think they're definitely following that World Cup. There was links with a with a whole host of that that squad, you know, moving to different clubs or even getting more game time at their parent clubs. Um, however, the issue with sort of Ukrainian football, I think, uh, one of the big problems for youth players is that I think they're given quite, you know, handsome salaries. They're told, you know stay with us for a while um don't worry about it you can um if you don't play you still got a bit of money we'll loan you out somewhere it's there's also also sometimes a reluctance i mean definitely in the past there was definitely a reluctance to sort of move to western europe because of the maybe the culture change needing to learn a new language um that sort of thing but you know i guess especially for these players bondad actually i guess might be He's been playing semi for Shakhtar. Um, start of this year, he's not featured much, but I mean, over the past sort of uh, 2020, he's definitely come more into his own. And I think he probably will in the future um, mm. play a bigger role at Shakhtar. However, the likes of Buletsa, who's on loan at Dnipro 1 at the moment for a second consecutive year, 
they're like mid-table side. They're not really doing too much. Um, Titesh really, he was given a sort of a hope um, when Luchescu joined. There was this sort of opening training session where Luchescu came over to Titesvili and sort of like grabbed him by his beard, sort of on his chin, and everyone made a meme out of it in Ukraine saying, oh, look at this guy, he's going to be the next big thing under Luchescu. But no, um, he started a few games whilst Sankov was injured at the start of the season, and then that was it really. Now he's on loan at Vorskla Poltava. He's starting consistently there, getting more minutes, which I think is a good thing. Um, for sure, because he's really not had any consistent game time over the past couple of years since that World Cup, compared to the likes of Boletsa Supriaha, who were out on loan and playing, you know, 90 minutes, regardless of what sort of level it was. It was at least the Ukrainian Premier League. And Lunin, I think, is probably the biggest disappointment, not from his, not from his own fault, um, but more just from a victim of circumstance that either for whatever reason Zidane just doesn't rate him at all and doesn't give him literally any game time. Um, <laughs> it's like, I think it, the he holds the record for longest from signing to making his first senior debut competitively. And um, that was, I think, in January in a cup game. And ironically, it was like a really second string Real Madrid side and they got knocked out by like a third tier club. So, and I mean, when you're given that one shot and as a keeper, you sort of, I mean, don't keep a clean sheet or whatever. It's very difficult to come back from that. And I mean, there's already rumours that he's going to make a move somewhere in the summer. I hope it would be to a to another top five uh, league and maybe a lower caliber club, obviously, but I think he's definitely got the attributes to be a top keeper. You know, it's just that he needs a bit of consistent game time. I mean, when you're playing um, once every, I don't know, six months or something, it's very difficult to um, have consistency as a keeper, in my opinion, just because you don't have the regularity of, you know, facing facing shots. Like, it's all good playing in uh, training or whatever. But And then what happens is when you actually are playing, you try and be the hero. Like, um, Lunin was given a rare start for Ukraine again, a Poland-friendly last, last autumn. And he rushed out, like, about 40 yards outside the box for a clearance, mucked up the kick, and um, Piontek scored from, like, 50 yards out. And it's like, for for God's sake, um, what's going on? So, yeah, he's been like, what, loaned out to a load of uh, Liga Primera or whatever La Liga 2 is called these days. Um, But I mean, I think he needs to be playing some top flight football somewhere and hopefully he can get that come the summer. But um, it's a shame, I guess, for all of those players, um, how they've ended up. Yeah, I mean, Lunin was obviously, he won the, the Golden Glove at that tournament. Um, and I mean, there's been some, some prestigious winners of that in the past. Mm. But yeah, it's I think it's, again, victim of circumstance. You know, Thibaut Courtois is 28 years old. Yeah. Andre Lunin is pretty much going to sit on that bench for as long as his contract is there. <laughs> unless yeah. he is, by some way, a miracle uh, gets into that team or... Um, or or he leaves essentially, so I think mm-hmm. that's the only option. Um, I, I've just remembered. I don't know how this passed me by, but um, Supriya. Um, one of the points I was going to make was that last season when he was with Dnipro one, um, he scored a hat trick off the bench against Dynamo, didn't he? Yes, his parent <laughs> club, which I think is just. I mean, you got to have some balls to do that. I think you know. Um, Absolutely. I, I was just thinking there. You know, 
a team who've won the under 20 World Cup. You know, this isn't even the under 17 World Cup where, you know, the the career trajectories are even more volatile from that point onwards. Mm. These, These are players who are pretty much set for a for a for, for a decent professional career you know if this was a south american or, or an african under 20 world cup winning team you know they the likelihood is that teams in europe probably would have picked them up one by one after that tournament so uh, it was it is just a shame to see that so many have not fallen by the wayside but maybe just having to kickstart maybe get the jump leads on their career so to speak but mm. yeah it's um it, it's a tr- it's a troubling one but um in terms of the best of the rest um in, t- in in the Ukrainian Premier League you know i pretty much only know about Shakhtar and Dynamo yeah. um but for for you you know are there any other 23 and under players you know who who have who we've missed that, that are worth a mention yeah so i guess we focused on the sort of big two teams today um i'll just add to that those big two i guess um anatoly trubin is probably the brightest ukrainian talent from from that lot uh, um the goalkeeper he's had a great uh european sort of season this year kept clean sheets against you know inter um against real madrid and it's it's sort of one of those where he's actually displaced Piatov as the starting keeper now. Dare to think that that has happened, but it has. And, that seems um, incomprehensible. I know. Piatov has, Piatov has been a constant forever. I know. Crane or Shakhtar, Piatov is there. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, he's been, I think he's kept about four or five um, consecutive clean sheets now in Europe um, for four clean sheets in Europe. And I think that's like the first time since 2016 or something for Shakhtar. So yeah, he looks, he looks the real deal. Hopefully he can progress. Even if he just becomes the Shakhtar number one, it looks like he's got a big career ahead of him um, for both club and country. Um, Another player, I guess he's, um, he's 23. um, So he he cuts the category just um, is Pape Aliun Ndai. Um, and he plays for Vorskla and he's a centre back and he's six for eight. Um he's he's massive. So not um, insignificant then. No, not at all. But he's really good on the ball with his feet. He's got a good pass on him, either a long ball, playing out defence. Um and he's recently been linked with the likes of West Ham, um, Braga and that sort of stuff. And his contract's up before is expiring this summer. So I'm hoping that he's going to make some sort of big move coming up. But he's really impressed at Vorskla. And I guess the final player, um, just to round it off from Zori Luhansk, um, probably the most impressive player for them this season is Alakiar Said Manesh, um, on loan from Fenerbahce, a 19-year-old Iranian. Uh, scored the win against Leicester in the Europa League um, and just uh, in the most recent game where they beat Shakhtar 1-0, 95th minute, Alakhyar did a 80-yard run from inside his own half um, in the 95th minute, bearing in mind he played the full game. Um, got into Shakhtar's box, turned Matvienko and Solomon sort of inside out with uh, one turn and played it across the box for um, his teammate to score and have a famous scalp over Shakhtar. Um, yeah, he's definitely one to watch. I think his his release, like, there's rumours that his release clause or salary or something is only about 1.5 to 3.5 euro, million euros. 
and that's a bargain if you ask me um he looks the real deal excellent well thank you all for for tuning in to another episode of the scouted football podcast um we'd love it if you left us a review uh visited our website or took a flip through one of the handbooks or, or simply just let us know what you think on twitter or instagram um big hand to, to andrew for, for walking and talking us through the world of ukrainian football um with that particular lens on, on under 23s um i think they, they may well be dark horses this summer in the euros to maybe get out of that group and go a little bit further you know we saw that with greece in 2004 who's to say that this isn't Ukraine's year um, with Sihankov and Mikhalenko at the wheel. Um, sticking my neck out there a bit. Um, <laughs> Andrew, where can people find your page and, and, and hear more from you? Sure. So um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Zoria Londonsk, so London SK. And I also um, run a Ukrainian football podcast in English um, called Ukrafoot24 um, podcast. And that's on Shoot the Defence, and you can find that on all your regular apples and spotify's excellent well remember to check that out and also check out scouted football on youtube as well uh, we're adding more scouted content on there including a nice little infographic video uh, on, on ahmad triore to, to get started with um, as we try and bring bigger and better things to the, the quarterly handbooks and, and weekly pods and, and everything uh, scouted football this year um, in the meantime hope you all take care uh, wherever you are in the world um, i've been joe donahue very grateful to have you with us speak soon and uh, bye for now Thank you.